Hey everyone, welcome back to the Blessed Child Podcast. This is your host, Renee. As you may have noticed, I've taken a few steps back from the podcasting. My life is picking up and I'm using all the tools I've gathered and all the validation that I've uh, collected from this community. So I wanted to say thank you for being here and for helping me, yeah, become a healthier human being in my real life. And so, yeah, you'll be seeing less of me. It's not going to be cold turkey. I have a few more episodes to release, but I am going to be diving feet first into my life and taking some time to really enjoy that process. Today's episode, we have a guest. They have a BA in psychology and are currently in a counseling master's degree program intending to get a dual licensure as a licensed professional clinical counselor and a licensed marriage and family therapist. My guest has also survived growing up in the Unification Church as a second-gen blessed child that was left in the Boulder Nursery and then another nursery in Ohio. You might be more familiar with the term Jacob House, but essentially these nurseries served as orphanages for second-gen children born of the first-gen, mostly from the Madison Square Garden in 1982 marriage ceremony, and Moon ordered that the first-gen drop their children off in these nurseries when they were a few months old to be raised for many many years without their family so needless to say i have to give you a massive trigger warning for child neglect we also bring up a medical condition called failure to thrive and failure to thrive is not always linked to neglect and abuse from the caretaker but in this context it is I'm not trying to parent shame people out there. Failure to thrive also happens because of simple things like tongue tie or biological reasons, personality traits. There's a lot of different reasons for it, but in this case, it is very obvious that my guest suffered from failure to thrive. And so with that, those are some massive trigger warnings to give you. This conversation I I didn't know what we were going to talk about, as always, going into it, but I am very glad that I had it. I hope at the end of this conversation, you can hold a little more compassion and a little more space for yourself in your journey to, yeah, give yourself grace when it comes to reparenting yourself from the many journeys that we have walked from growing up in the Unification Church. It is not easy, but I am so grateful that we are having these conversations and that on this Blessed Child podcast, you literally have hours and hours of stories to validate what you've been through, and I hope that you know that you are not alone. Let's get into the episode. I have a special guest today. It is Janae Sun. You might recognize her voice from previous episodes with the Purity Culture. She has contacted me to take a trip down memory lane. Janae was digging through her belongings like many of us do. I think we all have like a secret box of Mooney memorabilia. And she found a book and reached out to me. So today we are going to be dissecting that with fresh eyes. Janae, welcome to the show. 
Hi, Renee. So it's not my memories um, per se. So there's this box set that my in-laws sent to us. And it has like seven picture books. And then also like a songbook with a CD. Your in-laws sent you that? Yeah. This is a ginormous package. It's so heavy. And so we got it out of the blue. And, you know, we were just like, okay, some um, indoctrination materials for our kids who don't currently speak Japanese. Um, and, you know, some of the thoughts that went into it through our minds was like, how much did that cost? And like, even just shipping it over must have been, must have cost a fortune because it's super heavy. Even like, this is like a brick. <laughs> but then also, I, I have no idea, like how much did the church charge them for this set? Because if you just got a book set like this anyways, I think it would be pretty pricey on its own. But then of course there's like the spiritual, <laughs> you know. Wow. Oh, oh, the spiritual sales. Oh yeah. Yes. That's worth way more than any secular book, like at right, least exactly. five times. And it was bought in Japan. Is that right? I believe so. Okay. It's in Japanese mostly. So this is the, the box set with the different books. Okay. First oh. one together. Okay. So I was under a totally wrong impression. I thought you were going through a treasure trove of like memorabilia. This is not the same at all. This is way, way worse. <laughs> yeah. So this is different. Sorry. I, I think, yeah, it just somehow got lost in oh. when I messaged you. But yeah, so I, I just, I said, I have this thing, I have these books, but they, they're new, they're brand new. Um, and I, I wasn't sure what to do with them. We got them like, like a little bit less than a year ago, I would say maybe even up to a year ago. Yeah. Um, and we're, I, I felt, I didn't know what to do with them. Cause I'm like, I don't want this, but at the same time, I didn't feel like chucking it chucking it into the dumpster so I just held on to it for whatever reason and now I'm glad I did we didn't even like read it I mean I looked at it when we first got it just to like look at it and I was like oh my gosh first of all uh <laughs> it's a lot of love that they did that but it's yeah. so it's so misinterpreted and it's so sad that you could they could have shipped like literally any other book please not a Mooney book like what oh my god yeah, i mean my my in-laws they're very sweet i really do appreciate them and i think my husband has told them yeah i don't we don't go to church you know or whatnot he doesn't believe in it but i guess they you know it's like that that mentality of like well you just got to keep trying and maybe eventually you'll get through to them or whatever wow. i think a while ago one of their requests I forgot exactly the phrasing, but they're like, we, the only thing that we want, like, you don't have to like support us financially in the future or like blah, blah, blah. All we want is for you to raise our grandchildren as third generation. It was like, Ugh. all like y'all are under like undermining the weight of that 
request the only thing you yeah that's a lot that's a lot that's a whole lot of coercive control and manipulation to be raised Mm -hmm. third gen like come on that's not a light request at all it's not and I mean I you know of course everybody has different experiences within the church and uh, you know different histories and so on and and some people had more positives and other people had really awful experiences and I kind of fall under this weird area of like I could still be a Mooney I I don't I got blessed I'm still with the person I got blessed with I don't live this like life that's like outwardly very opposite of like what I mean I don't know what it's just like a I just I don't know I could easily go to church and just be part of it if I wanted to but like I don't believe in any of it. So I'm, and, and part of me, was like, well, I did like the community growing up. And when we moved from like, we moved from Japan to Thailand, right. And my daughter was about one years old at the time. And we're like, well, maybe we can meet some nice people at church. You know, like we don't, we don't believe in it. We don't really want to like adhere to it strictly or anything, but maybe we can make a few friends. It's, it's always been this built-in community for me. Right. But we went to church And I remember one of the, there were some, you know, foreign first gen who I guess had got married to some Thai, you know, spouses. And they were like, so excited to see us. I'm like, you guys are second generation. Oh my gosh. And then they're like, oh, she's third generation. And I remember this moment of like something inside me, the reflex, the the reaction was this like, fuck no. I don't want those expectations put on her like she's some kind of like special child or something like I want her to be able to grow up without all that I don't want that for her and I just remember feeling like that wasn't healthy for me what is the word the expectation or the the responsibility of like I must save the world and how much anxiety and pressure that placed on me as a child and as an, a young adult and a, a, as an adolescent as a young adult like I really took that to heart and it was soul crushing it was unbearable and at some point I was like I don't want that responsibility like and anyways I I learned enough I heard enough about the church and I mean just all these scandals of the moon family and so on um I think more specifically, just learning about Sammy Park and being like, I was told that this couple, you know, Reverend and Mrs. Moon, were this ideal couple and they 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 were to be emulated. And he had a, a child in the middle of their, you know, at least one that is like known of clearly, you know, but I'm sure... There could be many more. And there's, yeah, there's one more that I know of that died in a train. Well, a okay. train hit him. Yeah. Anyways. Um, and, and it's, uh, I think that one was from the first marriage. It was something. I don't know. Maybe the second uh, or the third. Who knows? Yeah. But I heard about like, oh, there was another wife or two or something, but it didn't work out or something. Mm-hmm. But then I, I really thought, bought the whole narrative, right? Like I, I, believed in all the things that I heard that these were these amazing people and they had this perfect you know relationship and 
unfortunately, some of their children, you know, because they had given so much for the world, they're like, they couldn't spend as much time with their children. And some of them, most of them, I don't know, went off the rails or whatever, but I was so naive, I guess. I also grew up before much info was out there on the internet to freely access. But um, yeah, it just kind of punctured this, this ideal that I had, this image of like, they are the example of like what it means, you know, to be, have this beautiful marriage. And I was like, I don't, I just couldn't. I, I talked to other people who were still in the church and like, have you heard about this? And they're like, yeah, there's providential reasons. And I was like, I just, I can't, I can't go with that. It didn't, it just shattered something, you know, like, and then I was like, I don't believe in it anymore. And yet it's, it sucked because my whole life had revolved around it. And every major relationship in my life was connected somehow to the church. I, I moved around so much. I didn't get to make really good friends other than through the church community. Um, and I got blessed and I was, I got married and, uh, you know, everything around me like was built upon this, I guess, institution <laughs> or this belief system, this community and social support system. And it was just like, but I, I couldn't live a lie either. Like I couldn't go along with it and just pretend well, I don't believe in it, but maybe it's okay or whatever. It's I, I think for me, like I really believed in it and then I really didn't. And I had to, I had to be authentic with that, even though it really hurt to have to extract myself from all of it, you know? That's um, amazing. I can't believe you, first of all, with the milieu control, what we're talking about with your social environment and your community being strictly Unification Church, right? Mm -hmm. So your eight criteria of thought reform are still like intact, but you still managed to become your authentic self. Is that what I'm hearing? I, it kind of, it shattered. And then I wasn't like so involved at, with the church necessarily at that point. Um, there was like a, an English, young adult English service in Japan. I was living in Japan at the time that we went to once a month. But we just kind of went less and slowly kind of withdrew. And I still like loved those people, those connections, but it was like, I can't force this anymore because I just don't believe in it, you know? Okay. And, and then we moved to Thailand and I was like, well, maybe we'll make some friends. But then there was that moment of like, no, I don't want this for my child. Like, I don't want her growing up believing in a lie. It just, it shattered me. It was so... Devastating, and I couldn't put her through that. You know, I didn't want to raise her with shit that wasn't that I didn't believe in. You know, whatever that meant. You know, like in a, any context, I've been very like honest, or at least like if she asked, like, "Is Santa real?" and I was like, "Well, what do you think?" and we'll talk about it and stuff. And I, I was like, "I want you to be able to have your own, you know, ability to decide for yourself what." do you believe in and what are your values and who are you? And like, I didn't get any of that. I was just force fed ideology, you know, and a belief system. And like, and then when I found out that wasn't real, it was like, just, I don't think my parents, you know, I think they truly believed in it as well. And their intentions were good, but they, you know, they were misguided and they they wanted to give me what they thought was best for me. But like, at the end of the day, like it set me up to like have to be like bereft 
at the end, like when it finally was like oh, shattered for me, like everything up until that point that I thought was true was just to not anything that I thought it was, you know? Wow. Okay. So I'm hearing that it was that instinct, that motherly instinct to protect your child from mm -hmm. the psychological pressures you endured growing up Yes, that absolutely. really kicked you into like, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were withdrawing already because I already was like, I don't believe I, I can't participate full, like wholeheartedly anymore. And maybe we can kind of just fade away slowly or whatever. Um, but then there, like we moved to Thailand and I literally knew nobody. And I was like, well, maybe we can meet some people that way. At least we have some kind of common background or whatever. But then, yeah, it was just that moment of, no, this isn't worth it. It's really not, uh, we got to find our own way. You know, we got to build our own social support network. We're going to have to figure it out, but this isn't going to be it. That's just not something I can do. Wow. And did you? find that did you find ways to make friends outside of the church in Thailand um I did we you know she was one at the time and so I kind of found out about this nonprofit parent support group international parent support group in Bangkok and so they had a lot of play groups and different like educational events and um as well as just fun events for like holidays and stuff or whatever so I started going to the play groups and eventually slowly met other parents who were also there from abroad living in Thailand and yeah it was it was a slow process but at least you know it felt nice to be able to make those connections on my own terms that's really cool, Janae. That's really, really cool. I love that story. That means that's it's beautiful. Can I, you know, when I started making friends outside of the church, I noticed that it wasn't as easy because it mm -hmm. wasn't built on a fucking cult. <laughs> like the, the I mean, one I think there's there's so much um like pressure and group mentality that's yeah like Instant yeah and and on one one hand it is it is so easy to get to know people who like have this really strange background that you can't explain to most people easily or they just don't get it or whatever and it's like oh you get it you also have these pictures of these people all over your house and you wake up early and and say pledge and pray and whatever like yeah it's like oh your cult identity knows my cult identity like instant yeah, and that's bonds. like and that's also like this identity that you couldn't share with anybody so it was like your secret identity essentially and then you're just together and doing all these activities typically i think it's like you know, like retreats for like corporate team building stuff. If you do those kind of activities, people can kind of let down the walls and get to know each other or whatever. Like it's, it's, it's true. It, it's effective in any kind of context really, but like you, it was just constantly reinforced. Like these are the people you can trust. And these are the people you can really be friends with. And then everybody else, like they don't know the truth that we know and you got to protect yourself from them and or if you're going to like be friends with them like 
the best is like if you can actually convert them or something, you know, bring them into the fold. Yeah, it's always kind of like there is this distance that is reinforced or like a separation yeah. or just, yeah. And we're talking about being friends within the cult, but like without, outside of the cult, you made friends with this new international parenting group. Mm -hmm. um, you actually made friends? Yeah, I it took time to like meet people who like I really felt able to open up to fully. And part of that was like, I was still processing so much. I, there was so much that I was grieving. Um, and at the same time, it was like, okay, I want to just start with a blank slate and I'm, I'm a, I can just be who I want to be and blah, blah. But then it's not that simple because all this conditioning, all this, you know, stuff, it doesn't just disappear overnight. There's so many ways that it's kind of deeply conditioned or ingrained in, in your thinking and your, in your way of perceiving things, even if I didn't want it to be, it was hard to shake the perfectionism or the trying to be this I don't know the people pleasing and and trying to be this person who is always like selfless and giving and stuff but actually that's not really healthy and trying to or coming to the realization I I form so much of my identity within this context and that context now I I don't want it in my life but then who am I like I didn't get to build an identity separate from that. So it, it's a painful thing to have to do as an adult, plus learning how to like take care of a, you know, a toddler. It's hard. Yeah, it is. It is hard. I'm just really, I'm happy you were able to listen to your gut instinct about how you wanted to raise your daughter and that you were brave enough to try something totally new and go out and venture outside of the realm of the cult and do all of these things that were little baby steps to get you to where you are today that's so cool that you did that yeah thank you yeah and also <laughs> you have an air of credibility <laughs> like you're still blessed you have mm -hmm. Like if anybody's listening, they're like, wait, I don't know how to categorize Janae. Like, is she a second gen leader with a third gen child who's still blessed, who's still married? Like mm -hmm. she's credible. <laughs> she, if I was a Mooney, I'd be like, I can respect everything Janae says because she didn't mm -hmm. discredit herself at all. So this is so funny. I feel like you can be like a double alias. It's, I have plenty of connections. People you know, they're not necessarily people who I talk to regularly, but like, you know, we're Facebook friends or what, whatnot, you know, and they're still very much involved in the church. And I, you know, I don't, I do want to sort of separate like the institution from the individual. I think that's very much enmeshed a lot of times for, for those people. And for like, also as we try to like dissect what was the church, what was like the person or the individual and who they are. And there's a lot of overlap, sure. But like at the end of the day, like who someone is at their core is not not based on like what church or whatever that they grew up in. And I think it's hard because I can I can look at my parents and not that they're perfect or anything, but I, I know that 
their intentions were, were in the right place. And yet, and yet it, it was, it wasn't what I needed. You know, it, it didn't actually serve me in the ways that I needed at, at the end of the day. And it's a hard thing to entangle because I respect their sincerity, even if I don't think the things that they did were right. One of the biggest things for me is I did go to the one of those church nurseries, well, two of them, I guess, um, when I was 100 days old until I was three years old. And, you know, I know it's not what my mom wanted to do. Um, and both my parents always talked about it as like, they were so sorry to have to, that they had to leave me, but it was necessary for the sake of the world, you know, like they, they needed to support the providence and, and that was the direction from their Messiah, you know, and there was no way to them that was their truth, you know, and so they, they didn't like it, but that, that's what they thought was necessary. And like, it's it's like it's heartbreaking because it's it's like I know they didn't want to hurt me, but there's no way you can be grow like raised in an institutional setting like that and abandoned as like a three month old and not be harmed. You know that isn't an optimal setting to to raise children in. You need a, a, a like a primary caregiver. You need that attachment, and to, you need it to in order to build secure attachment and I didn't have that and I I can't I can't even talk to my parents now I mean my mom passed away so I I definitely can't talk with her about it but like I can't talk to my dad about it either like I it's like such a painful thing to like bring up and and I I did talk to my mom a little bit about it like at one point I was like I don't think that was good for me I think it really you know, affected me a lot, like in my ability, in my sense of security, in my sense of like, of safety in the world. Like, I, I think when I first arrived at the nursery, I, I couldn't drink the formula and I, I had been exclusively breastfed until then. So I couldn't drink the formula. It was, I, I don't know how many hours, how many days, but like it got to a point where I was severely dehydrated and they were like, maybe we had to take her to the hospital. It was really scary. And then, at, and then my mom was already, you know, had been driven away in a van. I don't know how many, how far away. And back then there was no cell phone. So there was no way to communicate with her anyways, that her baby might be dying, you know? And, you know, fortunately I, whatever, they figured it out or I figured out, or I relented, <laughs> and drank the formula and I didn't die, but it's, that was so dangerous and so fucking unnecessary, you know? And, um, this another kind of like anecdote about that. And I heard, I remember hearing this growing up, like, oh, I didn't, the, 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 you know, the nannies or whatever caretakers were worried about me because I didn't talk. Um, and, and so like, I think, my brother joined the nursery too when, when he was a hundred days old. And so he's two and a half years younger than me. He would have, it would have been like, I would have been almost three months until I turned three. 
that he arrived at the nursery. And I think they did try to like encourage like actual siblings to like bond with each other. Like this is your actual brother. Like, although we are all brothers and sisters, like this is your actual brother. So they made, there was this attempt to like, um, just kind of help us understand this is actually your, your, you know, your biological sibling. And then one, but I didn't talk. Like they didn't think I, I, they thought I was mute basically. And then sometime after I turned three, one of the nannies like heard me singing to my brother in the middle of the night. I was like singing holy songs, I think. <laughs> um, but they were like, oh, she's she actually can talk. And then they were like so happy to report that to my parents. Like she was singing holy songs in the middle of the night. And I was like, that's a very sad image to me that I felt so unattached or like unsafe with people or like just not known I don't know what it is unfamiliar enough or unimportant enough to speak up even though I could that I didn't feel safe enough to talk to anybody you know oh my god um have you heard I have you heard of this the syndrome failure to thrive yeah I think that's that happens when a caretaker is abusive or neglectful towards a child and they don't bond correctly. Well, because of that lack of relationship, they stop eating, stop drinking, yeah. become recluse, isolated, um, don't feel safe enough to talk until and you were three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like this is a deadly this this could have killed you. Like this yeah, type of, absolutely. Like people, babies do die from failure to thrive all the time, and everything you just said is just I all like my brain is screaming like failure to thrive, failure like failure to thrive. Like how many children had to be put through this? It kills me. Hundreds, I'm, <laughs> hundreds, hundreds. Yeah, I mean, I I was one of the first born from the Madison Square Gardens blessing so there was like 2075 couples and they all had babies started having babies roughly around the same time so there was a lot of a lot in my you know bubble <laughs> generation whatever I was I was reading um for some insight on this Nora Spurgeon wrote about it pretty well mm -hmm. um basically moon manipulated first gen to say that they weren't good enough to be his followers they were like when jesus got turned away from the churches and had to proselytize prostitutes and and homeless people moon mm -hmm. told them that they were the homeless people and the prostitutes and so they have to suffer to be worthy of following him so they equated abandoning their children with walking the life of a slave like being separated like a slave and that that was supposed to happen they were supposed yeah. to suffer and leave their children and feel like slaves um, to prove their like faith to worthiness. Moon. Yeah. So this is not unwarranted. Like this was commanded by Moon. Like this is yes, like your failure. Yeah. Your failure to thrive and hundreds of other kids' failure to thrive that continues to affect you for your whole life. Yeah. Is a direct order from this motherfucking piece of shit, Moon. 
like a direct order. Like failure to thrive doesn't just stop at three or when you get a caretaker that's consistent. Like your ability to trust, your ability mm-hmm. to communicate, all of these things go back to those first those first core years. Yeah. Ah. Um, I've been like talking with my therapist about it. I mean, we're, we, I'm doing EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reuptake therapy with my therapist. Um, and we, you know, talked a lot about the nursery and that kind of thing. And she's always rather surprised that I'm as functional as I am (laughs) now. Um, And I don't think that the staff at the nursery was at least where I was, you know, I can't talk. There was many different places. So, but I was in Boulder, Colorado, and then I was moved to like, I think, Cincinnati or Columbus, Ohio. I'm not sure which one. So I was maybe the, at each of these for about 18 months or so. But I, I, one thing that she did mention was that it seems like you had just enough that you weren't completely devastated, like that you couldn't make attachment with your with my parents when I did get picked up from that by them from the nursery just because she, you know, she's worked with many different clients and there are those who just really can't, can't form attachments at all or can't build relationships. They've just been through so much early trauma, but at the same time, it wasn't enough, obviously. And I I feel that in terms of like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually speak up and I, I didn't, I remember like my first memory was the day that I was um, picked up from the nursery. And I remember being confused, like, cause I didn't know who my parents were. Um, and they they were strangers to me. Apparently my dad came every week to visit, but I didn't, I didn't recognize them. <laughs> so that's sad. <laughs> oh my God. Um, oh my God. I, I think the fathers were allowed to come on Sundays for like, a morning or something I'm so sorry I have uh I have two kids like very young and not just imagining not knowing them for the first three years of their life yeah that's that's worse than death like not knowing my own children no like missing all of that missing all of that Mm. it's yeah it's super painful I I um I think it really hit like the the gravity of that hit when I became became a mom like I remember holding my daughter you know after giving birth to her and just being like just how could I how how could I ever you know abandon her or put her in this nursery and not see her for three years or whatever like it just felt it was just so unthinkable, you know, and awful. And I, I had this moment of feeling like I was holding myself as a baby and like, okay, I'll, I'll, as I'm like taking care of her, as I'm nurturing her, I'm also like taking care of that, that little me, you know, that was 
abandoned, that didn't get that nurturing that I needed. Um, but it's, it's so hard to do that for yourself at the same time. I think that's been one of my biggest struggles. Like I want so much to do well as a parent. And yet, like I have this deprivation <laughs> from, from my experiences that doesn't just like disappear just because I want it to, you know, hence I'm, yeah, going to therapy, trying to work on that for myself and heal those wounds but it's like it's so hard because it's it's developmental it's not it's it's so hard to fix that much later on you know yeah I'm really glad you brought that up um that is a real 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 place it causes it's it's so hard to reparent that is repairing it yourself it's it's holding grief and love at the same time and it's it's like holding ice and and fire but eventually you become such a strong vessel that you can hold both and it it heals somehow. I had that experience when my my kids started basketball. Okay. Yeah. I I I played sports. I was amazing. Mm-hmm. I was over the I'm going to brag a little bit. I was a very <laughs> athletic kid, but my parents never saw me play. They have no idea I'm athletic. Oh my god. So when my kids started basketball, when they're three and four, Mm -hmm. I got mad that they weren't trying. They weren't even (laughs) interested. I was like, what the fuck? Like, I'm giving you all this attention. I got you to the the games and we're going to practice and I got you snacks and drinks and I'm giving you this opportunity. And I, I was like, where is this anger coming from? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, fuck. I'm mad that nobody was there for me. Absolutely. I'm taking it I this is not even warranted this is totally this is my inner child being upset I was like holy shit and it took one game for me to have that like anger and then I was like oh I'm putting unnecessary like unreal expectations Mm -hmm. I'm 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 wanting them to do their best and be over the top and I was like whoa this is not them this is something's wrong with me and then I like like let down that guard and I grieved and I cried And I was like, oh my God, it's because my parents don't even know that I loved sports so much and yeah. they didn't give me any opportunity, not any time of day yeah. to, to excel in sports. And so I, I grieved so much and I stepped back for a little bit. I said, Dusty, can you take the kids to, to basketball? Like, I just have to, I just have to hold space because I, I can't, I, I found something. I found a yeah. wound. Yes. Yeah. And it took about a week to, to let it all go. Yeah. And then I was, and now I'm like sports mom. We do everything. Okay. If they suck at it, I'm like, whatever, do what the fuck you want. You, can suck. you don't even have to like it. Yeah. We're just here to be together. We, I can be here now. And that's all that matters. It's not yeah. about the expectations or the old wounds. And that's a very real example like that I'm willing to share because it's hard Mm-hmm. There, there are so many similar kind of like moments or instances or whatever that I've experienced as a parent of like, yeah, there's so much of my stuff that I need to work through in order to like not put that on my children, <laughs> you know, and like they might not like the things that I like or, um, or for example, my older daughter did learn Japanese she went to like a 
Japanese preschool, kindergarten, Yochian. And, and then we moved to the States about three and a half years ago. And as soon as she could, she forgot all of it. Like, and I, I tried to like, like have as much of like the materials around to try to like reinforce it and stuff. And I was planning to put her in Japanese language school and stuff, but she was like very adamantly like, I don't want this. <laughs> this isn't who, like, I think it was hard for her because she doesn't look Japanese fully, you know, and she did start learning it more intensively from when she started, but her first lang language is English and she grew up in mostly Thailand. Um, and although she learned Japanese, she also like had the international, you know, community of friends that she could also connect to. And she just felt way more able to be herself in that context. And, and then, yeah, going to Japanese school, she, she made the most of it. Um, but at the same time, it was hard because she just felt different all the time, you know? And so as soon as she could, as soon as she was like, I don't need this <laughs> for, for myself, like it, it's not something I want for me, you know, then I was like, fine. I wish I had kept my Japanese, you know, cause I did speak it when I was younger, but it just kind of wasn't easy to keep it up. And I was upset about that, but it's like, well, she might regret it too. But at the same time, like, it's not worth it for me to force her to learn this language that she doesn't want to she she doesn't genuinely want to study this or learn this so maybe later she will and that that will be her choice it's not it's not worth alienating her over it <laughs> yeah that's true wow it's amazing yeah these are the wounds that come up in parenting they're very real yeah um, so did we want to look at this book? <laughs> oh my God. Yes. I do want to say, I do want to say at one point you said, you know, we're not as bad as normal kids that get abandoned. And I want to say that is true because I, you know, out of all four of my siblings, all of us were abandoned. None of us, first of all, we're all still alive mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, and none of us are, um, self-harming or drug addicts or alcoholics even mm -hmm. like it's just mm -hmm. really amazing I think bonding with other kids was very was helpful. still a bond yes, yes. and I bond. I think there was a protective element and I do think many of the people who join the church not everyone but many people who do join the church have this desire to contribute to something like to world peace, to like making a better world. Like there is, and I, I want to give that credit to those individuals, not because of the church. The church took that and kind of like, at, like, um, what's the word, faded them in or whatever, and then weaponized that against them. If you really want to be good, you have to be like this, this, and this. And if you're not, you're terrible. And like, you know, it, there's all the manipulation and so on that happens in the process of it all. Um, yeah, but I, I think I do see that, you know, in, in many individuals, you know, who have this genuine desire to do good, and yet it's just kind of misdirected, and that's, it's unfortunate. Like, I I, I feel, yeah, it's, it's such a sad thing. I, I feel like I invested so much of myself into things, like, 
um, workshops and I youth ministry and STF and and um, so on. And I, I really like believe this is a, you know a worthy thing to put my my time and effort um, into. But at the end of the day, now when I look back, I'm like, well, I meant well, but those are not actually the things like PLA. I don't I don't actually want. I'm a, I'm sorry that I promoted this like unrealistic ideal and and very like limiting kind of belief harmful, harmfully limiting kind of perspective. But at the time I didn't know any better and I thought I was doing something good. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for, yeah. Painting the complexities. I think that's a really valid, it wasn't just a destructive cult. The things like a lot of what was good within the church and there was a lot of dysfunction, so much dysfunction. It was, I, oh God, <laughs> so much craziness. But like, but the things that were like, let's say protective factors, the things that were things that I, I saw value in, I, I think a lot of that came from the people. They were not bad people, but maybe they were putting their efforts in areas that weren't actually what they thought they were, you know? Yeah. I think that was an awesome intro to the book that you're about to show us. <laughs> yes. So um, there's seven books, but this is just like the first book. It has a few interesting things in it, though, um, that I kind of wanted to just highlight. Okay, Ten ga Jumbi Sareta Makoto no Okasama. So Heavenly Prepared True Mother is essentially what it says. <laughs> I don't know what would be a, a better way of translating that to English, but... Um, this is kind of the beginning of her origin mythology. Now that's being um, promoted within the church. And this is stuff like I didn't see when I was a kid because it was all about Reverend Moon at that time or True Father or whatever. Um, Moon. Wow. So this is the kid-oriented indoctrination book. Like of this the is more the intro. recent iteration of the church. Wow. And it's so pretty. It's so pretty, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Really the packaging's pretty. nice. This is the first, this is the first page. The, the art, artwork is great. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna be playing this on my computer, just because I don't have the best pronunciation. I mean, this isn't gonna sound 100% natural either, because it's a it's Google whatever translate. But anyways, we'll we'll hear the original, and then I'll tell you what I have in terms of. Translations。昔々王様が国を治めていた頃のことです。国に大事なことがあり、中国からの使いを迎えることになりました。王様、中国からは我が国に来るために渡るレカワを渡らなければなりませんが、国にお金がなくて橋を架けることができません。Okay, so I'm going to stop here. That's like two the little paragraphs, and then I'm trying to find. So I'll read the translation for that bit. Long ago, there was a king who ruled the country. He had important affairs with China, which required meeting with a representative. Your majesty, in order for the representative to come to our country from China, he must cross the Tale River. But our country does not have enough money to build a bridge. And I'll play the second half of that page. 王様はとても心配になってきました。王様は国中にこのことを知らせ、橋を架けてくれる人を探しました。
しかし自らお金を出しては塩かけようという人はいませんでした。王様はとても心配になってきました。So, let me do the translation.The king made this known throughout the country. He looked for someone to help donate money to build the bridge.The king was very worried and distressed. No! I know! No! <laughs> this, this is about. This is this is the intro to the Mooney Church for children. It's it's like priming them for financial abuse. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh no, our king needs to build a bridge. We don't have enough money to build a bridge. And the only thing, like this is a kid's book. You know, in all the other kids' books, they'd be like, Yeah, we'll just build it out of sticks and mud, like and the yeah, end of the yeah, story. Like, I, I mean it's It was so jarring to read it and be like, wow, okay, I I see where this is going. Financial exploitation starts young, kids.、Yes. Starts young. Gotta so, groom them. Okay. So, yep, that was from page one. I'm gonna go back. Hey guys, you made it. So, yes, that was the intro to the indoctrination material that is circulating in Japan. To this day, if you're wondering why Tetsuya Yamagami assassinated Shinzo Abe, this is a huge contributing factor is that they indoctrinate and condition children and families to give everything to the bridge king, which is very literally Moon's empire. It's very upsetting, and part two of this is equally triggering to listen to.、Uh, but I will release it in a little while. So I just want you to think about all the things that you heard, how far Janae has come to deconstruct and reconstruct her life now, and that you can do it too. You're absolutely not alone. Yes, we got out of a cult, but it is a surgical task. To remove the culture out of us, it is not easy, but it is possible and it is worth it. I just wanted to remind you that, yeah, you can do it. You can do it. You're not alone. So, with that, remember to take care of your mental health and we'll talk again soon.